Welcome, one and all, to a little thing we like to call the Good Judgment Podcast. The episode notes for this incredibly entertaining and informative episode that you are about to consume are available at goodjudgepod.com. That's goodjudgepod.com. Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tame Kell, the happily retired former judge. Today, we're going to have a guest third wheel, Tane. He's going to help us uh, present this whole series on DUI law, if we can keep fooling him to stick around. Judge Ben Studdard retired last year, I think, as a judge of the state court of Henry County. Yeah, after two decades on the bench, Judge Studdard retired, but he's always been considered one of the real gurus on Georgia criminal law, specifically on DUI law. With that limited intro, we welcome Judge Studdard to the Good Judgment Podcast. Tell everyone a little bit about your background, Judge. Well, first, let me say what an honor to sit at this table <laughs> with the yeah, dream team of podcasts. <laughs> this is awesome. Get over that. I'm, I'm really excited. Try not to burst my bubble too quickly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, great to be with you guys. Uh, so uh, I took the bench in 1999 as the actually the first state court judge in Henry County. Oh, created wow, a new court. Yeah, which was a lot of fun, creating a new court. And... Uh, and uh, so in 2000, I got a call from the Education Committee of the Council of State Court Judges, and they said, we'd like for you to come teach at our next seminar. And I said, wow, what an honor. You asked me to teach. I'm the youngest and newest guy here. <laughs> and they said, well, don't, well or why are you doing that? And they said, well, don't get all honored. We're asking you because you're the youngest and newest guy here, right? So I said, okay, sign me up to teach the criminal law stuff. And I, I uh, taught it and loved it. And uh, I said, let me just keep doing this. So I, so for the last well, 22 years, I've been teaching criminal law to started with state court judges and then started with the superior court judges and then municipal judges, done some with the probate judges. And uh, uh, now uh, as a result of all of that, uh, I'm, uh, I'm writing the uh, Daniels uh, criminal law series of books uh, on Georgia criminal law. And uh, so it's become kind of a, a, a passion. So you've enjoyed retirement uh, in your year of retirement as much as Tane has in his month of retirement? Well, <laughs> Tane has a head start on me with the uh, the ponytail. Yeah, yeah. It's coming in well, I think, actually. I don't know if you guys can get this on camera or not, but uh, yeah, it's coming in well. There's Pretty. no camera. Oh, yeah, I always forget that. Yeah, a, our listeners will just have to take my word for it. That's pretty awesome. Well, we Thank only you. have one. We have one loyal listener. And, uh, <laughs> and is it your mom or Christopher? Cajola expert to actually help us navigate difficult topics that we decide to take up. There's been a request or two, Tane, for to address DUI cases in general and yeah. some of this recent changes, some of the recent changes that have happened in this area of the law. So in this first episode of this multi-episode series to be determined by Turner Up Media. Yay. Um, let's jump in and let's talk about the relevant law, Tay. Yeah, sure. It, you know, before taking this plunge, though, I really have a confession to make. During my time on the bench, I do not recall handling a DUI case that was not otherwise related to some other felony charges. So... Therefore, throughout this series, I'm going to be asking as many questions as I am going to be uh, getting, giving any deep insights into uh, the relevant law. Judge Stutter, do you have any sense of how many DUIs you have tried, either bench trial or jury trial? Couldn't begin to tell you. Uh, hundreds, I, you know, and presided over way more than that on pleas. So, you know, many, many, yeah. <laughs> Spent a lot of the last 22 years dealing with DUIs. 
So we are going to begin this journey through DUI law with an obvious statement. A person who is charged with DUI is facing a criminal charge. Now, that's going to be a painfully obvious point, but it's going to be a recurring theme throughout this series. And I think it's helpful, Tane, to remember that both Georgia's Constitution and the laws of the U.S., Georgia's Constitution and laws and the U.S. Constitution as well, they don't have a separate category based upon the relative seriousness of the potential penalty. Criminal right. law is criminal law. Yeah, exactly. So, Judge, let's talk a little bit. You'll notice that I'm not calling Tane, Tane, Judge. I'll just call you Judge. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Wade. Want to follow along? Visit our website. Find this episode outline and more information on this episode at goodjudgepod.com. That's goodjudgepod.com. So, OCGA 40-6-391, it's one of those things that those of us who've done criminal law would just spout off almost, it's just rote, Um, makes it illegal for a person to drive while under the influence of alcohol or drugs. Now, Judge, there are several different ways a person can be proven to have violated this statute. Um, There are subsections to 40-6-391. Do you want to run through them right quick? Sure. I count at least eight different definitions of DUI. Uh, nine if you count DUI child endangerment, but uh, let's, let's you know, go through these. So, so 40-6-391A includes six of those definitions. A1 is what we call it. Uh, DUI under the influence of alcohol as a less safe driver. And we'll talk about what less safe means uh, here in just a little bit. A2 is... Uh, DUI, less safe under the influence of something other than alcohol, a drug other than alcohol. A3 is less safe under the influence of an inhalant. A4 is less safe under any combination of any of the above, drugs, alcohol, inhalants, whatever. Then A5 gets us to a different definition of DUI. A5 uh, means you are under the influence of alcohol not because you're less safe, but because you have a certain amount of alcohol in your system. And for ordinary drivers of ordinary vehicles, that's 0.08 grams or more of alcohol uh, in your system. That's what we call a per se DUI. And again, we'll talk more about that definition in a little bit. And then A6 is per se under the influence of uh, some drug other than alcohol. Now, Tane, you have read newspapers, right? You may not have tried a DUI case, but it's, you've read newspapers. It's been a long time since I've actually touched a physical newspaper, but yes. But you, you, you see when people get into something, specifically some celebrity, and they'll talk about he was over the legal limit or right. three times the legal limit. Talk to the people a little bit about this misnomer of legal limit. Yeah, I mean, as, as the judge pointed out just a minute ago, you know, you can be a less safe driver regardless of what the blood alcohol content is at the time of the registering of the blood alcohol. And I think there are a lot of reasons for that. First of all, I think things like if you can speak to Judge Stuttered, but, uh, uh, you know, when the test is administered or how soon you can get the test administered or all of those things. But uh, um, it's really kind of a misnomer to say that there is a, a bright line test for blood alcohol content because it's not necessarily what's required in order to have a DUI. Am I, am I right about that, Judge? Well, uh, you can be DUI just because you have a certain amount of alcohol in your system, but you can also be DUI just because you have enough to make you personally an impaired driver. And I think most everyone understands that 
different people have different tolerances for alcohol, depending on how big of a person you are, how, how experienced you are as a, as a consumer of alcoholic beverages. One person may have a lot in their system and yet not be impaired. That's a nice way to say that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at, I'm looking at Wade. I'm thinking you're like an eight, you're like an eight drink. Man, when I was in college, alcohol, right? I was a different level. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. But and, and other persons, you know, uh, I've seen some, you know, very petite persons who uh, might have a couple of beers and probably shouldn't get behind the wheel at that point. So, so these, I, I've often told juries that the, the per se, DUI and the less safe DUI are like mirror images of one another. To, to prove a case of less safe DUI, the state has to show that that person had enough alcohol in their system uh, uh, to impair their driving ability, regardless of what that amount is. We don't need a measurement of that. Uh, that measurement may be relevant, the jury can consider that, but the, the question for a less safe DUI charge is not the amount but uh, the effect, the impairment. Well, and, and that makes a lot of sense because yeah. you, you might not be able to get a test in some sure. cases or, you know, they, they may refuse a test or you might not be able to get a blood test for, you know, an hour or so or sure. something like that. And you think back uh, when DUI first became a thing, there were no chemical tests for measurements of alcohol. Sure. But if you were driving your Model A down the road, there was no way to measure that. Uh, Back in my college years, right. I was so driving my Model A. It was just a question of, were you an impaired driver? That Then when they were able to start doing chemical testing, they came up with this secondary definition. Of, well, they decided nobody should be driving with X amount of alcohol in their system. And I think it used to be 12, then it was 10, I think it actually it started at, I think it may have actually started at 15, but yes, 12. The 10 and then 8. Uh, now, so now the legal limit for drivers, for most drivers of regular vehicles, it's uh, 0.08. And to prove that case, I will tell my juries, the state has to prove an amount regardless of impairment. They don't have to show any bad driving. They don't have to show that anybody is falling down, slurring speech. If they can show that that amount of alcohol is in a person's system within three hours of driving, from alcohol consumed before or during driving, uh, then that person is DUI, even if they appear to be. As sober as a judge. So, that goes back to what you were talking about is some per se guidelines for, for DUI. So you right. got a, yeah. you got a 0.08 per se, prove the level of alcohol. And that's really all the jury has to find in one of those cases. Am I right? About right. That? Exactly. And that, you know, but it has to be both ways, right? It has to be per se, and then it has to be less safe because if if you had to prove the level of intoxication in every case, all the all the driver would have to do is refuse the test, and they would always they would never be able to be prosecuted for DUI. So it has to be both ways that you have the less safe, and then you have the the per se or level of intoxication level. Right. Right. And right. and folks, all these levels and 08s and tens and all of that that doesn't apply to walking around. I mean, people, thank goodness, <laughs> no, right? <laughs> um, they are different. You have mentioned a couple times, Judge. There's a different legal limit for someone. We, we people who are 21 or older. In other words, people who are legally allowed to drink. Right. Then there is a different level for people who are driving commercial vehicles. Right. Then there's different levels if drivers are under 21. Right. Now this is the per se level. They still could be charged with less safe, regardless of level. But they have, they don't get to get to an 08, right? Right. These if other two classes of people? Yeah, if you're behind the wheel of a commercial vehicle, you can't get up to 0.04, uh, which can be, you know, one drink, depending on what you're drinking. Uh, if you're under 21, if you're not legal to drink 
in most circumstances anyway, uh, then that level is 0.02 to be a per se DUI. Well, I understand that. I mean, you know, for the commercial driver, I mean, if you're eastbound and down, I don't want you to be drinking. That's just a personal preference there. Well, oh, yeah. and, and the right. thing is, and when it comes to drugs, because yeah. unfortunately yeah. some of our uh, commercial drivers find themselves trying to stay awake and do right. different things and they'll be on different amphetamines and other drugs. There's no legal limit with drugs. Right. I mean, there is a drugs less safe just for the same reason, but there's no, you don't have to be 0.02 with drugs or 0.08. There is no such 0208, right? Right. So we've talked a little bit about alcohol, Judge Stuttered. Talk a little bit about how, what has to be proved in cases when you're talking about drugs. Let's say marijuana, because that's one that frequently comes up in the cases that I've seen. Uh, well, usually drug chases are charged as less safe just because there is no legal limit uh, for those. Uh, and so for a uh, less safe charge based on drugs, uh, the test for less safe is the same as it is for alcohol. And that is the question of, uh, uh, can the state prove that the driver's uh, ability to drive was impaired uh, by the consumption of whatever that substance is? We'll call it an intoxicant, just so we don't get down into the inhalants versus drugs versus yeah. all that. Right. All right. So we have talked a little bit about less safe. And we have talked about per se, and I don't know that there is a whole lot more we need to say on those topics. Just understand there are two general ways that, that DUIs can be proven. Well, one point worth making about the uh, DUI drugs is uh, it doesn't matter whether that person is legally taking that drug or not. If you have a prescription uh, for Ambien and you ignore the... Uh, instructions on the You mean the, the big labels that say do not operate yeah. heavy machinery? Yeah. If, if you have a prescription for it and you're out driving and, and you're under the influence of it, the fact that you had a prescription for it is not a defense. Uh, whether you used it legally, whether you used it illegally, is still a question of if it impaired your driving ability, that's DUI. Yeah. Well, listen, Wade... I know what a big constitutional law scholar you are. So <laughs> yes. uh, why don't you? Why don't we talk a little bit about the differences between the U.S. constitutional requirements and and how that fits in with the state requirements? Well, these same constitutional provisions that we're about to talk about apply to felonies like armed robbery and murder just as much as they apply to DUI, DUI cases, which are generally misdemeanors. The fourth uh, DUI in a ten-year period becomes a felony, but that, we're not going to really focus on that today. Um, that's why we made that painfully obvious point, Tane, in the beginning of this podcast episode and in this whole series, and we're going to do it again and again and again. These are criminal cases. You see, a state constitution can grant citizens more rights than does the U.S. Constitution, but they can't afford fewer rights that are in the U.S. Constitution. And we're going to talk about a couple of cases that from back in the day that they have been sort of historic as to how Georgia's constitution is just slightly different than the U.S. constitution on these points. The Fifth Amendment to the U.S. constitution says no person shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself. Now, Georgia constitution, this is Article 1, Section 1, Paragraph 16, says no person shall be compelled to give testimony 
tending in any manner to be self-incriminating. Every time a statue decided, an angel gets his wings. So, so good to be part of that. <laughs> so now, Tane, this language is really similar, but it's been interpreted kind of differently. Do you want to talk some about, about performing an act versus testimony? You know, I'd love to, Wade, but I've lost my place on the outline. So uh, I think we'll let Judge Stutter jump in on that one. <laughs> There's one, only you. <laughs> There's one radical difference in the way that the Fifth Amendment has been interpreted versus the Georgia Constitution. Uh, and that is the, Georgia, the U.S. Supreme Court has made it clear over the years that uh, the Fifth Amendment only applies to actual verbal speech, that uh, it's not... Can, it's not covered if it's not something spoken uh, by the individual. But the Georgia Constitution self-incrimination privilege applies to anything that's intended to be a statement. And a statement uh, can be uh, any act uh, that tends to be self-incriminating. So uh, if I'm looking at you and I'm nodding my head, that's an act. It's a, it's a verbal act. It's a nonverbal act, but it would be covered by self-incrimination. Uh, pointing uh, at Tane's ponytail would be an act uh, that could be incriminating to one of us. I'm not sure. Uh, so those things will be covered under the Georgia Constitution, and that uh, has had a dramatic effect on the Georgia case law over the last 10 years or so. And I don't know a lot about the Georgia DUI case law, as I've said, but I do seem to remember that one of those cases interpreting that was like 150 pages long. And I, I read like four Elliot. pages of it and went, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to get this. So oh, yeah. <laughs> one of the most famous cases that interpreted this difference between the word testimony as defined in the U.S. Constitution and testimony as defined in the Georgia Constitution had to do with a, I guess, a burglar. They had a foot mold, like right. a plaster cast. Right. And they said, hey, put your foot up here, and let's see if it fits. Right. And he's like, I'd really not, rather not do that. That's probably not going to be awesome. <laughs> and they said, no, no, you have to do that. It's not testimony. In the, in the Georgia Supreme Court, now we're talking about way back here. It's like 1887 yeah. or something like they that. They had plaster. They were like pouring it in yeah. the face. Very cool. It's very um, Sherlock Holmes. That's cool. Very Sherlock yeah. Holmes. Yeah. And so anyway, they said, no, 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 that is testimony under the Georgia Constitution. That act, and Georgia basically defined act as testimony, yeah, because the act, like you said, is intended to to communicate something. Now, there's a difference, though, Judge, between being forced to perform an act as opposed to making yourself available to have evidence extract, extracted from you, right? Right, and that comes into play in the testing and these DUI cases that we'll talk about. So, Tane, back when you were practicing law, late 1800s, yeah, the, it's been a long time in a ago. famous case, there was a. You're back to practicing law, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was held not to be a violation of the Georgia Constitution for the defendant to be present to have a bullet extracted from his body. You see, I think a lot of people got focused on how intrusive everything was. That's not the question. It's not mm -hmm. intrusiveness mm -hmm. as being the question. The question is whether or not you have to do an act versus an act getting done to you. And that's going to be really important because, Tane, as you know, when people get arrested— they have to have fingerprints and booking photos right. and those sorts of things. If they could refuse to be present to have their picture taken, we would not be able to identify who we have in the jail. And, 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 sure. and, and you think we have some identity issues now, false identity issues now. If we can't even take fingerprints and photos, we're going to have m many larger issues. But that was, 
those were the thought processes that, that came back from a, a time long before computers, before electricity, when they said, you know what, you can't be required to perform an act, but you can be required to show up to have an act performed upon you. Yeah, and I mean, if you think about it, I mean, having a bullet extracted is a pretty serious act to have uh, performed on your person, but you're not doing the surgery. I mean, you're just, you're just laying there. there. Yeah, just sit so there. So that's not covered by self-incrimination, but the simple act of, of being told, Mr. Defendant, stand there and lift up your shirt so the jury can see your tattoos, that is covered by self-incrimination. That's an act. That's an act. Now, just bef- I don't want any of my people to, to fall off the treadmill or wreck their car <laughs> when they're going, wait, 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 what? They could get a search warrant. They could get a search warrant. To go look at the scars, and they could take a photograph of the tattoos or the scars or whatever. Right. right. They just can't make you pull up your shirt. Right. Folks, we'll be right back after this pause for station identification. Folks, this is Wade and Tane. You're listening to the Good Judgment Podcast on the World Wide Web or wherever else you listen to these things. As always, you can find outlines for these podcast episodes as well as any supplemental materials on our website, which is goodjudgepod.com. We'd love to have your feedback about the podcast, and we get that at our email, goodjudgepod at gmail.com. We're always looking for suggested podcast topics. Please feel free to submit your suggestions to us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Operators are standing by. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to like us and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And tell your friends it's how we get to grow our listenership. Thanks. And now back to our studio audience. All right, so let's let's apply all this to DUI. Um, we're going to discuss in some later episodes some of the recent case law that has applied these exact principles to DUI cases. But for now, it's just important that you understand a couple of basic concepts. Excuse me, concepts. The Georgia Constitution prevents any defendant from being required to perform any act that might tend to incriminate him or her. A defendant can be required to submit to evidence gathering from his or her person. And we are going to, well, Tane, there's one more thing that, that we probably need to sort of set as a, as a prerequisite here. And even though you did not mention it by name, you're talking about Elliot and your 150-page case. Yeah, it's really long. The, this one's sort of a, a summary. What's this one additional legal principle that has been applicable when you tried armed robberies and murders that would be applicable here? Yeah. Uh, Okay. So a a good example here. Let's assume for a moment that a defendant is charged with armed robbery and the defendant is apprehended. And after reading him his Miranda rights, um, the officer asks the defendant to make a recorded statement and the defendant refuses and instead asks for a lawyer. Would that refusal, the refusal itself, that he didn't want to make a statement, would that be admissible at trial? Answer? Obviously not. The jury would assume that his refusal was motivated by his desire to hide something. Regardless of the number of warnings you give the jury, they wouldn't be able to set that aside. And so a defendant's exercise of his legal rights cannot be introduced into evidence against him. You mean the limiting instruction wouldn't help? 
the jury unring the bell? We, you know that they always Juries listen to and follow those. Listen. Yeah, always listen to the limiting They hang instructions. on every word we say. In fact, they listen to all the instructions that we give them, and that's why we give them to them in writing as well. And understand them. But, so, but so, let's, so apply yeah, apply that to, to let's apply that to the DUI, same principle to a DUI arrest. So the officer asks the defendant to blow into a machine to get a reading of his level of intoxication, and the defendant refuses. The jury can't be told about that refusal for the same reasons that were applicable to the armed robbery case. So we've got our legal principles, our big constitutional trees in the forest. So let's now jump to elements of the crime of DUI, Judge. Okay. Um, less safe and per se and drugs and all that. The state, what are the things the state has to prove? Okay. Uh, well, this is a little different between less safe versus per se. So let's talk about a less safe case. Okay. Uh, to prove it's less safe case uh, against the defendant, the state has to prove, starting with venue always, uh, state always has to prove that the offense happened within the jurisdiction, the county or the municipality, depending on what court you're in. Uh, the state then has to prove in a, in a less safe case that the defendant was in actual physical control of a moving vehicle. All right, stop. Forever, I thought the law was motor vehicle, that it had to have some sort of motor. That's not right, is if it? If you look carefully at that statute, you will see that the word motor is not there. 361A defines DUI as being an actual, at driving or being in actual physical control of a moving vehicle. So if you are on your bicycle and you are under the influence, that can be DUI. Uh, Lawnmower. I was going to say, it's like that old George Jones song or whoever that was where he was driving his John Deere tractor. But you know what? I have have had the defendant on his uh, lawnmower who's making his way down to the liquor store. Yeah. Because the wife took the keys. Yeah. Yeah, But you know what? Now that people have these lime scooters that you can rent from go bar hopping. I mean, it would be bizarre. It would be It's a vehicle. But that I can see that. Yeah. Uh, if you look vehicle? at 40-1-1 contains definitions of everything under the motor vehicle code. And and perversely, it defines vehicle separately from motor vehicle. And a vehicle is any device that'll basically any device that'll get you from here to there. Um, I think a that wheelchair, bicycle. wheelchair, your, your personal uh, um uh, mobility device, yeah. you could be DUI on that sucker. Wow. If you're riding your mom's uh, the walker. walker. <laughs> oh, the walker. You I get your knees that. up on that little thing and get down and going down a hill. Yeah, you have I, to take I, the tennis balls I off. Think that qualifies. That. <laughs> I think that qualifies. <laughs> all right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to yeah, get yeah. All right. So, so, so we're actual physical control or being of a moving vehicle. Actual physical, vehicle, uh, actual physical control of a moving vehicle. Uh, while under the influence of one of those substances, to the extent that it is less safe for you to operate that vehicle than it would have been if you were not under the influence of that substance. So they don't have to prove, uh, uh, prosecutors try to explain this to juries all the time, we don't have to prove that the defendant was sloppy drunk. He doesn't have to be falling down in the video. We just have to prove that his ability to drive was less than it was, it would have been if he hadn't consumed the alcohol or but, the substance. But what if the defendant's defense is, I'm actually a better driver when high on cocaine. Yeah. I'm alert. <laughs> my my reflexes are faster. Uh, yeah. If if you can sell that to the jury, yeah, you, know, you can go for it. Probably not. 
Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> All right. So that's that's uh, less say. That's less say per se. Yeah. Per se. Okay. Uh, venue has to be proven, of course. The state has to show that the defendant uh, drove or was in actual physical control of a moving vehicle, uh, with and that that person had a prohibited amount of that substance for alcohol, ordinary car, 0.08 grams. Uh, had that much alcohol in their system within three hours of driving caused by alcohol consumed before the driving concluded. Now that's... Is that as clear as mud? Yeah, that, well, that whole thing right there, the whole before they drove, that's for people who run away from the scene, right? Well, no, because, you know, you think about it, by definition, the state's going to get that measurement of what the alcohol was probably an hour later. Maybe three hours later, maybe three hours and 15 minutes later, as in a recent case. Mm-hmm. Um, so if so, the defense could come in and argue, well, that was my measurement of my alcohol after I was driving. When, it, when I was driving, I was sober as some legal professional. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the state is never going to be able to prove exactly what the uh, alcohol amount was at the time that person was behind the wheel. Uh, so they, so the state, uh, the, the law gives them some leeway and says, well, you can prove what the, what the amount was within three hours of driving, as long as it was from alcohol consumed during driving. So when... Or before driving, it was over. Single, single car wreck. Yeah. Defendant is not at scene. Yeah. They find him at his house. Right. And he says, I was so nervous and upset, I started drinking. I've seen that case. And what did the jury do with that? The jury said... Oh, this, it was a great case. The, the, the defendant has a wreck, calls up her roommate and says, I had a wreck, come get me. Uh, and uh, according... And bring, me, and bring me a fifth. Well, according, yeah. to the de- <laughs> according to the defendant's... Well, according to the defendant's roommate's testimony, because the defendant, for some reason, didn't take the stand herself, but her, her roommate sense. takes yeah. the stand and says, I picked up my girlfriend, uh, and the first thing I said to her was, girl, you need a drink. <laughs> Well, that's Go, a good friend. Goes I mean, home, yeah, that's yeah. a friend. A yeah. real friend in need. Yeah. yeah, a friend. Takes her home, gets out the bottle of Jack Daniels, and the jury said, could happen. <laughs> Found her not guilty. Wow. This is one of those cases where the judge has to kind of turn his chair around and kind of grin back here because you're going like, okay, that was a good case to try to a jury because the judge ain't buying that one. Right. That. Yeah. <laughs> Bench trial would have not turned not, out the same way. Yeah. Same. Now, um... On drugs, marijuana, drugs, there's a less safe component to that, or is it per se? Drugs are pretty much always prosecuted uh, less safe. There is a per se code section, A6 code section, and long ago the Georgia Supreme Court uh, ruled that that was unconstitutional as applied to marijuana at least because they said— Because of how long it stays in your system. Yeah, and well, because there was— no evidence as to how much was an intoxicating amount, basically. And I think there was a subsequent case that applied that same reasoning to cocaine. And so they finally, A6 is really it's for all practical there, purposes, it's, it's a dead letter of the law. Yeah. Well, let's, let's move to something else that's really important because these cases come up for us in Superior Court sometimes. And, and we're like, okay, well, 
what are the penalties? You know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we, yeah. we start talking about that. So let's so talk tell, a little bit about tell everybody where they can find these outlines. Yeah, absolutely. So folks, don't forget that for every one of our episodes, you can go to our website at goodjudgepod.com and find the outlines for all of these uh, episodes that we do. And in this particular episode, we've got some charts in there that will help you with things like the penalties and the elements and those sorts of things. So please go to goodjudgepod.com. There's also one, that, one in there about... Uh, DUI penalties. Yeah, yeah, there's a real good one. On so, penalties. so Ben, let's just focus on a first DUI for somebody who is at least 21, because the all the contingencies could be crazy. Yeah. So, on a first DUI within a 10 year period, right? Is there mandatory jail? Uh, if the evidence shows that the person had a per se level of alcohol in your system. Okay. Uh, so, if there's evidence that the person was 0.08 or more. Even if they plead to per se. Even if they plead to less safe. If there's evidence that they were in fact per se, then the statute requires one day in jail, one day of actual incarceration. Uh, it also requires uh, a 12-month sentence, uh, but Minus that can all whatever. be probated yeah. except for the 24 hours. Uh, the, the offense has a maximum fine of $1,000, a minimum fine on a first in 10 of $300. Uh, it also requires 40 hours of community service and attendance at uh, risk reduction school, which most of us refer to as DUI school. And can you, now, there's going to be something that we're going to discuss, the collateral penalties, and we're yeah. going to end up discussing that a little bit more detail later in other episodes, but the light there's a license suspension in theory associated with this you can get a limited permit if the judge signs one of the limited permit affidavits or whatever they call them yeah actually i think the uh, judge doesn't even have to sign for that permit anymore it used to be that the judge had to sign for it now i think it's it's more or less automatic if you go down to dds you you, you take a certified copy of your conviction with you down to the driver's license office and they can look it up and see it's your first in 10 they can give you a, a permit. All right, yeah, Tane. And, and let me say one other thing about all of this, too. So for you superior court judges out there, the ones of you who don't handle a lot of DUI cases except when they're associated with another felony, there are a lot of forms to fill out when a DU, in a DUI, and there are a lot of little quirky things like the 40 hours of community service on a first and the other, uh, you know, it, it begins to exponentially load, load up for all of these Um you don't have to know them, but you've got to make sure that somebody, your prosecutor, your defense attorney, or somebody has checked all those boxes. So you may want to ask some questions about those when those come up, because I remember my very first DUI, I thought, man, there are more penalties for a DUI than if you kill somebody. Yeah. So uh, there is if you shoot somebody. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so let's so on a second offense within a 10 year period, that mandatory minimum jail time moves to three days. And there's no, if your blood alcohol level is a certain level, it's just three days. Right. Minimum fine, $600. Maximum right. fine, 1000 30 days of community service. That is substantial. Risk reduction and clinical evaluation, substance abuse treatment required. And then you are there. We, we start getting into some of the real minutiae. There is a mandatory photo fee 
right? You have to surrender your tags to your car and it, for you to get, you have to have an ignition interlock system for at least six months. Yeah. I mean, you got to have that system that your kids have to blow into for you to be able to start the car. And that's, (laughs) but they've got to be really close to the little hand. Right. Yeah. They've got to be right next to the steering wheel. Yeah. On that photo feed too. I mean, that's not for glamour shots. That's (laughs) that's your booking photo. There's some classics out there. Yeah. And what they do is uh, they take that photo and they publish it in the local paper. So, Everybody can see, uh, hey, you got a second DUI within 10 years. So on the third team. Excuse me, that one. Oh, yeah, that one, the the photo uh, and the surrendering the tags, that's actually second in five. There's some of this stuff that that goes by. The sentencing mostly has to do with how many in 10 years, but the photo fee and the uh, tag surrender thing, that has to do with how many of you had in the last five years. That's a good point. And, and that's why I was saying a minute ago, you know, again, for those of us who didn't do these very often, there's some real sticky points there yeah. that you need to just ask some questions about. Okay. Have we covered whether this is in five or in 10 and those sorts of things. And you, again, it's like what Wade and I tell people at, uh, at new judge training school, uh, you don't have to know the rule. You just have to know the red flag. Like this is, this is where I need to ask a question or something like that. Anybody should get this outline off of the, of the uh, website yeah goodjudgepod.com because that's that's really hard to know keep, well, yeah. keep track of it well let's it. talk about third dui so yeah. there the, then your your now penalties really start trouble. to really stack up on that now third dui in 10 years uh, suddenly this is what we call a high and aggravated misdemeanor that means the maximum fine goes up to five thousand dollars the minimum fine on this third in 10 is $1,000 and it comes with a minimum 15 days in jail. Uh, again, you got your 30 days of community service, you got your, uh, uh, your risk reduction, uh, which is a, an elevated form of risk reduction, and, it's, and you got all that other stuff about ignition interlock, the photo fee, tag surrender, and instead of getting served with notice of a, of a one-year suspension like you did on that first or second DUI, uh, now you've, uh, you're being served with notice of that you are an habitual violator. Your license is uh, not just suspended, it's revoked for five years. You may be able to get it back after two years, at least a probationary license after two years. And, and there's a bunch of associ- things associated with that. The point for the judge would be to make sure somebody is serving HV notice as a part of that conviction. Right. And the HV notice also lets you know, lets the, the defendant know that he or she's on the verge of felony if they drive again yeah right fourth and ten going to be a felony yeah driving while on that uh on that revocation before you get that probationary license that's a felony so now if you had a dui child endangerment i don't want to spend much time here because that's that's sort of a specialized area just understand that is treated differently under 40-6-391 l like lincoln and it's it's treated differently um but I, I don't think that that would be a good use of our time, given the length of the episode, for us to go too deeply into that. Let's just say it doesn't merge with the DUI. Well, it's so funny you should raise merger. <laughs> it's like you read this before. One of our this. favorite topics. Um, we, we adore merger, yeah. and we talk about it a lot. Um, child endangerment, as Judge Stuttered said, child endangerment charges don't merge. They're just governed by how many kids are in the car. Yeah, but separate offense for each safe. kid. What's up? Separate offense for each kid. And so you could get all three of your prior offenses. You could get first one, lifetime offense and be habitual violator because you drove under the influence with two or more kids in the car. Yep. That's 100% true. Now, 
less safe. If you you'll see a lot of times, Tane, that the prosecutor will charge less safe and um, per, se per se in the same case, just in case for some reason their their test results get thrown out or sure. whatever. Less safe merges into per se. You you would end up walking away with the per se DUI. The less safe would on the sentencing form count one less safe count two per se count one you would just so merges into count two. Yes. Well, that was deep. <laughs> right, you could have uh, less safe alcohol, less safe marijuana, less safe alprazolam, less safe combination of all those per se DUI. You could get convicted in all those, but they are going to merge. You're going to wind up with one conviction, one sentence. Alprazolam always reminds me of like a wizard doing a, yeah. doing a spell. Oh, Alprazolam. <laughs> That's right. All right. That's so let's point. recap what we've learned today. Tane, first, a DUI is a criminal offense. It's a misdemeanor, but all the rules relating to criminal procedure, including the Georgia Constitution, are applicable. Yeah. And we promise that we're going to get into some of the latest case law in some future episodes, and uh, we're going to get into the weeds a little bit on the uh, constitutional and the other legal issues. Man, I can't wait for that. That's going to be awesome. I love yeah, that. But we had to make everybody suffer through this to get to the good stuff. you got to do the basics. Yeah, that's yeah right. you got to get your principles. So there are multiple different ways for the prosecution to prove the defendant is guilty of DUI, at least eight different definitions. All those provisions are found in OCGA 40-6-391. But this offense obviously involves merely, more than merely proving that a person was driving with alcohol on their breath. That's not enough. That's not enough. The penalties for DUI are substantial tain, and they're included in our outline that can be found at goodjudgepod.com, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whenever 365, you want it. 365, baby. 365. Together with the citations to authority for all these different points of law and sentencing provisions that we have discussed. Yeah, you know, folks, as always, we hope this has been helpful to you in your daily practice. Um, we're going to continue this series on DUI law, and it will ultimately include several different episodes. You don't want to miss any part of this exciting series, so be sure to follow the Good Judgment Podcast on your favorite platform and like us just for fun. I'm Wade Padgett. I'm Ben Studdard. And I'm Tane Kell. Say a funny thing. <laughs> Don't drive no. a lawnmower while intoxicated. Yeah, don't drive a lawnmower while intoxicated. Or do. Uh, and see if you get a DUI. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. We try to give you actionable information in a format that does not make you want to jump in the creek. Two thoughts on that. One, some topics allow us to be a, have a little more room to have fun. But number two, if we failed you, we'll do our best to do it better next time. We know that you have lots of choices, and we're honored that you chose to spend this time with us. We're kind of amazed, to be totally honest. This podcast began as a project that was initially the brainchild of Doug Ashworth, the former executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to Mr. Hinnerberger and the entire University of Georgia College of Law. Thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped to edit out some of our stupidity and awkwardness, but hey, Nobody can get it all. Thanks to our unsung hero, Mr. Kevin Holder. You are instrumental in our podcast being published and made available to the public. We should have been singing your praises since we started this thing, but we didn't, so... Wade and I are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court Judges across Georgia. Tane and I are also very grateful to the State Justice Institute who have been instrumental in our success and in that they have provided grants to help us get this product to you. 
You know these are our opinions and do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, CSCJ, SJI, or the University of Georgia College of Law, or anyone else for that matter. Contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com for any praise. Contact somebody else for any complaints. But seriously, we would love your feedback, both good and bad. Send any comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. But seriously, send the bad comments to Wade. Visit our website, goodjudgepod.com, for all of our episode outlines and more details about our podcast. Some of you send emails asking for copies of these outlines. These outlines are available 24-7, 365 at the website, goodjudgepod.com. You can upload them, download them, or otherwise use them as you wish and on your schedule. Once again, I'm Wade Padgett. And as always, I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for listening. Tane, I guess it's time to bang the gavel on this episode. Any last thoughts before we wrap this up? Yeah, Wade, I don't think we're taking enough callers during the show. 